We're in a new series, starting a new series today called The Big Bible Stories. Would you say that with me? The Big Bible Stories. There you go. And uh, were you blessed by Pastor Chris Estrada last week? Was that awesome? Man, I went through the whole week talking about the diaphragms, the diatrams, the diatribes. We were laughing. They were like, Pastor, it's not diaphragm, it's diatribe. I was like, oh, okay. And I kept, you know, let go, devil, in Jesus' name. It was awesome. But today, we're going to start a new series. We're going to do... uh, the big Bible stories out of Scripture. We picked four, excuse me, five of them. We're going to do four out of the New Testament and one, excuse me, out of the Old Testament and one out of the New Testament. We'll do two out of the Old Testament this uh, next two weeks. Then we'll do the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday, and then we'll do two more out of the Old Testament the weeks they're following. And so uh, next week we'll be talking about Esther. So if you get a chance to refresh on that, and you want to, you can. This week we're going to be talking about David and Goliath. Let me say, yeah. yeah. And uh, obviously, if you grew up around the church or you grew up in America, uh, you probably have heard the David and Goliath story. Uh, you know, people wrote albums about it and stuff. And, and uh, Hollywood's uh, done some great uh, uh, messy stuff to, to try to reenact the story. Uh, but today, what we want to do is we want to study it. And as we kind of start to move into this, I want to just kind of preface the big Bible stories and the relevance for our life. Um, you need to understand that each and every one of us, um, we think the way we think. We do what we do uh, based on our life experiences. Uh, some of you are nurses because, um, because when you were a child, you, you saw someone being a nurse and, or they helped you when you were a child and you said, I want to do the same thing. Some of you went into psychology because, uh, because you were messed up in psychology. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, some of you, but all of us have these big moments in our life, the big stories of our life. Some of you were in car accidents and, 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 and it was in that that you were, you were like, oh dear God, I got to stop playing games. I got to come back to Jesus. Yeah, we all have these kind of big moments. And the Bible is full of these big moments in people's lives. And in fact, what I love about, about my Jesus, I love about my Savior, is in his holy word, he didn't just give me a set of rules. Do this on Monday. Do this on Tuesday. This is what I want you to do. Do, 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 do. He, that's a lot of duty. Anyway, he didn't do that. What he did was, yes, he gave us the law, the Torah, and, and showed us where right and wrong was at. But then the rest of the scriptures are full of life experience and stories of everyday people like you and I interacting with the big God. And, and, their, and that interaction and how to interact with him and what that looks like in this venue and what it looks like in this situation. And, and that's what I love about this David and Goliath story is David's just a kid. He's just, he's just, he's just a little dude. who's just, He's just a little shepherd kid. And, uh, and, and, and God does something so supernatural with him that it marks not only Israel, not only David's life and his family life, but it's marking us some some 4,000 years later. And so as we go into this, let me kind of set the background story of 1 Samuel chapter 17. So we're going to be, uh, the, the, the chapter of se- chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, really we're going to be covering that whole chapter. But instead of reading the whole thing, it's like 50-something verses, I thought I'd just kind of tell you the storyline and then pull out the big nuggets of truth that I want you to walk away with today. And so the backstory on this whole thing is that, that Israel, um, Israel has been God's people, and the way God has ruled them, he's ruled them as a theocracy. God has told him what to do. And he's used, he's used prophets and, and, and judges to kind of communicate, hey, I want you all to do this now, I want you to do this now. And God has spoken to them, they would hear what God wants to do, and they go tell all the people, this is what we're going to do. Well, at this juncture in 1 Samuel, at this juncture in history, Israel's tired. They don't want to do it like that anymore. They want what all the other people have. We want a king. 
We want a king. We don't want to have prophets and people telling us what to do. We want like, like look at them. They got a king, man. How sexy is their king? And got the whole stuff. We want, we want to be a real country. We want to be a real nation. We want to have what they have. And so God said, okay, all right. You want a king. Okay, well, let me just tell you something. Let me tell you what a king's going to do. He's going to take your kids, and he's going to recruit them into his armies. He's going to tax you, and he's going to take 30% of all the money you make, and he's going to build himself some mansions. He's going to make himself some servants. He's going to pay for all the stuff he wants, and that's okay. You want a king? So be it. At that time, Samuel was kind of the judge or the one representing God, so God comes to the prophet Samuel and says, Hey, listen, they want a king. I'm going to give it to them. He says, don't worry about this. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. He said, I picked out a dude. He's the one who's taller than everybody else. His name is Saul. He's a little little insecure. He's a little little shy and stuff like that. But I want you to anoint him and make him the king of all of Israel. He's got a decent heart, and I think he'll do pretty good. And so Samuel anoints him as king. Saul becomes king. Yay, we got a king. Rah, 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 rah. And so God says, okay, we're going to, I want you to go do this, King Saul. And King Saul goes and does it, and then he rebels against the Lord, and he doesn't do what God tells him to do. And so God says, okay, I'll tell you what. He comes to him through the prophet Samuel. He says, I didn't tell you to do that. I told you to do this. You rebelled against me. You want to do it your way? You got it. It's yours, king. King Saul, you go ahead and lead Israel, and I'm going to pull my hands up. I'm going to pull away my anointing. You're going to feel my presence. You're not going to hear my voice. Why? Because I'm going to stand back and let you do it. You ever did that with a four-year-old? Go ahead. Try it then. Go ahead. Go ahead. Put the fork in the thing. Go ahead. See, put it in an electrical socket. See what happens. I'm tired of spanking you for Go ahead, just one good, ah, there you go. Now I bet you won't do it again. You want me to be daddy or not? Come on, you ain't never done that, but still. <sighs> so God says, okay, whatever, just go ahead and do it. And man, I'll tell you what, Saul is messing it all up. He's so frustrated because he realizes God's hand is away from him because he's rebelled against him. So in the process of that, God comes back to Sam. He says, how long are you going to be upset about this thing with Saul? He said, I'll tell you what, I got a plan. I got a little boy, a little boy named David. He loves me. You ought to see this kid. This kid is the one. I want you to go to his daddy's house, and I want you to anoint him. I'm going to tell you which one he is. I'm going to just tell you, of Jesse's sons, of his seven sons, one of them is my boy. And I want you to see if you can figure out which one. And so Jesse brings all his sons out, you know, and Jesse just, know, he just know, knows that it's Eliab. He just knows that this is the one because he's the oldest, he's the most mature, he's good looking, he's athletic, he's intelligent, and favor is all on him. And Samuel stands in front of him and says, God says, you ain't the one. I'm like, oh, snap. And he goes right on down the list, and he's, he's done. He's done. He says, you got any more kids? He's like, well, I got one, but he's like, he's the poo-poo scrubber-upper. He's out with the sheep. Because, you know, that's what sheep were. That was like the lowliest job you could have, watching the sheep. And so he said, go bring him in. And when he comes in, God says, this is my man. He anoints him to be king. And, this, and, and that's got to stay, stay top secret. Nobody really knows about it. And then in the midst of all that, Saul starts having these fits of rage. He says, ah, losing his mind. Ah! And so all his servants are like, dude, you're going to blow a gasket or something. We need a, you need some, you know, Demerol or something. I don't know. Well, you need to hook you up with something to kind of, you know, settle you down for all you, you know, pro-marijuana folks. You know, anyway, so, so they're like, look, you're going to you're gonna have, to, you're gonna have to settle this guy down. And so they come up with a plan. What if someone played some soothing music? Well, we need somebody who, who's like anointed for that. And this one guy says, man, I saw this little kid. He's like this warrior kid, dude, but like he, he sings to God. I mean, it's like, it's like crazy, like military slash, you know, you know, American Idol thing. And so this kid's got this thing on him. And they're like, well, bring him over. And it's David. And now all of a sudden, David's playing. And Saul's having these fits of rage. Rah! And David starts singing, only a boy named David, only a little sling. And all of a sudden, Saul just settles in, man. 
And so before you know it, this kid, who's anointed king, unbeknownst to Saul, is now serving in his courts, keeping him from losing his mind. When we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Philistines, the enemy of Israel, they decide, hey, it's time to go to war against Israel. Now, in biblical days, countries or nation groups or people groups would war against each other, and that's how they prospered. So I beat you down, I take all your stuff. Ooh, look, we have advancement. This was their, you know, this was their productivity plan, you know, how to get, get ahead. And then we'd make you slaves or whatever. And so Philistines come to attack Israel. And so Saul gathers all the guys, and they're standing there right in the valley of Elah. And, uh, and so, so they're standing there in this valley, and they're on one side of a set of hills over here, and, and Israel's on this side of a set of hills. And for 40 days, they just kind of stood there and stared at each other. And every day, twice a day, for 40 days, Goliath came out. Now, Goliath, they say, measured somewhere close to 10 feet. The other day I was at Sam's Pizza, if you guys are from the area, and, uh, and I walked in and there was this white guy and he was bent over on the counter talking to the guys at Sam's Pizza. And when I walked up, he was still taller than me. I look, and all of a sudden he stood up. <laughs> and you you got to know my person. I'm like, oh, God. And he, kept, he just kept standing and he kept going way up there. And I was like, and I, I had to ask him, you know, I'm just that guy. I'm that kid like, what's this? You know, I'm like, hey, how tall are you? And I think he said something like seven six. Now, I have, I have prayed with Shaquille O'Neal. I've laid hands on Shaquille O'Neal, and I think he's like 7'1", 7'2", somewhere in that range. And, uh, and, but this guy made Shaquille O'Neal look like a little kid. And his, the butt on this boy was that big. I'm telling you, I ain't never seen. And I just kept looking at him like, oh, my God. Now, you got to understand, he's seven six or seven eight somewhere range. I think he said, I forget exactly. I, I'm 5'7". So I'm just, I'm like, dear God. Goliath is 10 foot. He's 10 foot. His armor weighed 150 pounds. Think about that. He could take me and carry he, I was his armor. He just strapped me all over himself. And, and so he stands out there twice a day for 40 days. You, the Bible says he cusses them. You blanking, blanking, blankers. Your God's a blanker, blanker, blanker. Come on now. Look, I know y'all, y'all acting holy, but I've seen somebody flip you off on the interstate. You start losing your Christianity. This guy is cussing them to their face. Cussing the, the Bible says he curses the God of Israel. He's cursing them. And guess what they do for 40 days? Somebody ought to do something. I know, right? This is terrible. You gonna do something? No, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. 40 days. And and then Jesse, David's dad, says, pulls him out of the field watching the sheep. He says, Hey, your brothers, three of his brothers are in Saul's army. He says, Look, they've been going for a few days. They're hungry. Because in those days, you know, you, you didn't, the army didn't finance your meals. You had to finance it yourself some kind of way. So family sent food to him. So, so David's in charge of going and bringing some food. So he shows up and he's ha- found his three brothers and they're standing there and he's handing them out food and they're talking. How you doing, Dad? Wants to know. When all of a sudden Goliath comes up, and he's doing all this, right? And David loses his mind. He's like, what did he say? What did he say? And Pastor Chris, he hit it so well. Tell me again what will happen. Whoever whoops him, tell me again, what do I get? And he starts having this conversation, right? And he gets so fired up and so desirous to destroy this giant, if you will, that they go and tell Saul, hey, there's a little dude out here. He thinks he wants to fight him. He's like, bring him to me. So he brings David into his little tent area, and he says, uh, <laughs> you want to fight the giant? <laughs> That's what happened when I would play basketball. 
play basketball, huh, buddy? Yeah, I can do it. Anyway, so he looks at him. And he says, listen, you're just a boy, man. You can't. This guy, he's been a warrior since he was a kid. He's going to kill you. And David says, no, let me tell you something. I've killed a lion and a bear. And this day, this man's going to die. And so Saul says, well, here. Let me let you do it, but at least put my armor on so at least maybe you have some protection. And then as the storyline goes on, he says, I can't, I can't do it like this. I can't do it your way. I got to do it. I got to do it my way, what fits me right now. And, and then from there, obviously, the great, the great battle moment. And so I felt like I could tell that part of the story, but, you know, the History Channel did the little Bible series a couple months, uh, years ago. And how fun would it be just to show that real quick? So since they spent millions of dollars, let's see their version of, uh, of David uh, knocking down Goliath. Come on, you can give it up for David killing Goliath right there. Come on, that's a good spot to stop right there. Come on, you can do better than that. Shout it out for a good, good knockdown. You didn't know that David was from Britain, did you? You had no idea. British accent. I think they might have missed that part right there. I will kill him. I will do it. <laughs> Sorry, Israel. <laughs> So, but what I want to do today is I want to take this chapter 17, and I want to, this is one of the most courageous things in the history of humanity. It really is pretty courageous. Uh, scholars believe that David was somewhere around the age between 14 and 16 years old. Um, you know, he, 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 thousands of men are lined up against each other, and, a, and it takes a 15-year-old, let's put him there, it takes a 15-year-old to actually <clears throat> bring forth the, the, the desire of Jesus. And it, it, this courage that we see in David in this moment is so supernatural that I thought what we could do is extract from this passage truths about supernatural courage as we see it happening in his life. And I want to connect that to you and I because, friend, I think we need supernatural courage in this hour more than we've ever needed. I think some of you are standing across the valley from a great enemy and you've never crossed over and defeated that enemy and you have stayed there year after year, intimidated, and today needs to start a breakthrough season for you. And you need supernatural courage. Some of you are fighting the same fear that you were fighting 20 years ago. Some of you are overcome and passive because you, uh, because you tried one time and you failed. But today, my prayer is that when you leave here, you are infused with supernatural courage from the God who saved you, the God who loves you and gives you strength to conquer every enemy and every giant in your world. Let me tell you something. You're not going to be stupid. You're not going to be a pervert. All those lies are going to be destroyed here today and start in a place of courage for you to take the enemy down. I want you to understand something too. It's not a giant that David was facing. He was facing an entire army. The giant was the point person, but there was an army standing behind him. That's why Goliath was so bold and brazen. So let me give you a couple thoughts or truths about supernatural courage. If you've got something to write it down, come on, let's, let's handle it together. Number one, truths about supernatural courage. Number one, it's generated from the bond of relationship with the Almighty. Man, how is he so courageous? Let me tell you something. That comes from the bond of the relationship with you and God. And so... You can tell someone's relationship and the depth of that bond, how close they are, based on how courageous they are. I'm telling you. You can tell. 
Uh, you know, I don't know if, if you've ever had, I, I tell this story periodically. I had a, a friend that was real rich. I mean, this kid was rich. He acted different than everybody else. He acted totally different than everybody else. Why? He walked in with a confidence that I can, not only can I buy this car, but if I wreck it today, I'll just go buy another one. He had a, a different way of swag about him like we used to say. Why? why? Because, because he had a relationship with his money that I did not have. Are you with me? Say yes. And so when you, that's why we accidentally make heroes of people who have a, have a strong bond with the Lord. Because they do courageous things that we're scared to do. And the bottom line is we're scared to do it because we don't have the same bond relationship happening. That's why I've been challenging you week after week. Come on, stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Come on, get deeper with the Lord. Know Him as your Lord and Savior. And, and David says it like this. He says in verse 26 of chapter 17, as the Philistine is yelling out curses, he says this, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of what? Look at it. Of the living God. Listen, Philistine, your God ain't even real. It's dead. You're worshiping some little, uh, some little wooden image that somebody carved out, made out of some little something overlaid with gold. Let me tell you something. How dare you speak against the living God? The living God. See, David understood that his God wasn't some abstract thing out there. uh, Some little ethereal moment that he could feel a little something, something, something. David had a personal bond. I'm not talking about just a relationship. They were tight. Him and God was tight. And the result of that bond was courage beyond anything imaginable. Why? Because David wasn't scared of Goliath. Not because David was so great, because David's God is so great. And when you have that bond and you have that relationship, you're not scared of what man can do to you. When you have that relationship and that bond with the living God, then guess what? You walk into a job interview different than everybody else. If it's God's will, it'll happen. If it's not, I don't want this job anyway. But no one can stop me from doing what God's set into motion that I'm supposed to do. Um, he's for me and not against me. That's not little, some little hype statement. Those are truths that you and I should hold on to because we know him. I know that my God goes before me and he clears the way. And all I have to do is walk in his footsteps. I know that I don't have to fight battles by myself. That all I have to do is stand behind him as he destroys the enemy's plans. I know that no weapon formed against me can prosper. That all those that rise up against me shall fall because I have a deep bond with my God. David had the same bond. So it gave him supernatural courage. See, here's something you got to understand. When he says this, he goes, he goes, who, you, you don't even know this living God. And I love that he uses this passage of statement. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why did he use that verbiage? Why did he use uncircumcised? I'll tell you why. Because the living God came down to a man named Abraham and said, you're the only one, it seems like, that really loves me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a relationship with you. I'm going to be your God. You're uh, going to be my son. You're going to be my people. Every child that you have, every grandkid that you have will be in covenant relationship with me. All the other peoples of the world, they don't want me. They want to be against me. That's okay because I'm going to use you to show them how great of a relationship they could have. And you're going to help them see that they could know me. And if they don't see it and they don't want it, that's their business. But I'm going to have this relationship with you. And the sign of this agreement is going to be circumcision. In your body, every male is going to be circumcised as a sign that they belong to me and that we have this relationship. So when he says, who is 
this uncertain. You don't even have a right to speak, stupid. You don't know God. You don't know God. Whatever you know ain't God. And you have no right to even speak against the living God. Not the dead God, the living God. He had a personal relationship with the living God. Are you there? Say yes. And that gave him courage. Gave him courage that didn't make any sense in a kid. The teenager with this courage. Where did he get it from? Because of the relationship. Here's the problem. Here's what you and I do many times as adults and we don't even realize we're doing it. We look at the problem and we measure ourselves against the problem. Am I educated enough to overcome this? Do I have enough life experience to overcome this? Am I strong enough to make it through this? That's not what David did. David didn't measure himself against Goliath. He didn't say, I, 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 I've killed a few things so I can be. No, no. David measured his God against his enemy. And his enemy ended up like this. His enemy looked like this from the position of his God. And this is where our problem comes in. Is we look at everything through our own ability to overcome or do it in and of our own strength. That's where, Listen, you are never going to be bigger than cancer. Come on, somebody. You're never going to be bigger than whatever this confusion is in the marriage. And somehow you're going to fix it all. And if you just were nicer... You You're never going to get that dude at work who just can't stand your guts in some kind of natural format to love you and accept you and treat you right. Something supernatural has to happen. And if you're looking at it from you to them opposed from God to them, then you can see it in the right way and you can have courage to do what God would have you to do. And this is what David possessed. And so as a result, he never measured his ability against Goliath's ability. He measured Goliath's ability against his God's ability. And Goliath came out weak and shortcoming. And he didn't measure up because our God is the living God. And I have a covenant relationship with him. And so do you as believers. Are you there? Say yes. That's your starting point. You want supernatural courage? Listen, it's time, guys. I'm telling you, it's time to get your kids back. You, I, how dare the devil keep stealing you, and you're, you're still living in poverty. You're still living in difficulty. You're still fighting sickness and disease. You can't make a, a marriage work. You can't make a job work, friend. It's time to take back what the enemy's trying to steal. It's time to stand up and have courage to attack the enemies of God. Are you there? Say yes. Here's the second truth that we can learn from this passage, and that is... Supernatural courage in you will be attacked by the jealous, by the insecure, and by the angry. Supernatural courage in you. There are going to be these moments. Come on, you've all had them. You left church. Man, we're going to do it for God. We're going to serve the Lord. And you start calling your brother. And say, brother, listen, man, listen. I'm just letting you know we changed. We went to that church on the hill. Man, this thing is legit. It's real. I'm going to serve the Lord. And your brother say, oh, yeah, that's what you said last time. That's what you said last time. You're always, in supernatural courage, you're always going to be attacked by the jealous, the insecure, and the angry. Starts with his brother, Eliab, E-L-I-A-B. He shows up. The giant's running his mouth. David gets all fired up. Who's going to do something about this? I'll do something. And his brother goes, what are you doing? Shut up. You're just here for your own glory. Why is his brother attacking his courage? Because his brother was the first one standing there when Samuel was laying hands on who was going to be the anointed one. And he didn't pick him. Instead, he picked his little brother. And you got to understand, the way it works in the Middle East, even to this date and in other cultures, is that the eldest son is not only the heir apparent, but in charge of the entire family lineage. That the, heir, that the oldest son is even more valuable in Middle Eastern culture than the mom. 
And so this young man, Eliab, is, is gifted. He's, everyone values him except God. And said, God picked the little shepherd kid, the little, the little potty scrubber kid, his little brother. He don't even like that kid. He's old enough to be his dad. You know those families where there's that many kids? He's old enough to be his dad. Not only that, but last year, he gets called to the palace. And he has met Saul. I've never even met him. I'm out here fighting for him. I've never even met the dude. I'm going to lay my life down. And, the, and that snotty-nosed kid can't stand that kid. Can't stand him. It's jealousy coming out of him. Go back and read the passage where Eliab was so mad at his brother David. said, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Frank, can I tell you something? When you start moving supernatural courage, the jealous are going to come out. It's going to happen. Second thing's going to happen is the insecure. They bring David to Saul. And what does Saul say? Yes. Yes, a man of God. Come on, somebody. That ain't what he does. He says, buddy, 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 buddy. You can't do this. You're just a kid. Why is he attacking the courage that God has given him? He's obviously motivated by it or he wouldn't even let him come up in his tent. He obviously feels something on it, but he won't let, when he stands in front of it, why? Because Saul is insecure. Because why is Saul insecure? Because he sees the anointing of God on this kid that used to be on him and he's now lost it. And he sees that. And his insecurity. Let me tell you another reason why Paul is so insecure. I mean, Saul is so insecure. Because he, out of all the people of Israel, is taller than anyone else. The Bible says he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. In other words, where his shoulders was, was above everybody else's head. Put the, if, if Goliath is 10, 10 foot tall, let's guesstimate. We're totally guesstimate. Maybe Saul is, maybe he's 6'6 six, six or 6'8 six, or something like that. He's... So, so their champion, their tallest, their biggest, their baddest comes out. Who is Israel's tallest, biggest, and baddest? Saul. But Saul is so scared of what he might lose, the position, the power, that he won't go do what he's supposed to do. Can I tell you something? If you don't do what God's called you to do, he'll raise up somebody else to take your place. And you'll be so insecure of him. I can't tell you, I've seen so many older men of God and they're so insecure, that young preacher, and won't let them even, won't let, put them down, push them down, won't let them, won't let them preach anymore. Used to let them run the youth ministry, found out the youth ministry was growing and being successful. They got intimidated, insecure. You know, we ain't going to have two churches up in here, a youth church and a regular church. I'm the pastor of this place. I, woo, I've counseled all that mess. Why? Because of insecurity. And that insecurity is the result of not being who you were called to be and doing what you were called to do because of your own fear and trepidation. Why did Eliab not go out and kill that Goliath? He, ra- he was raised up in the same Christian family, had the same godliness, the same godly family that David uh, was raised up in, Eliab was raised up in. This guy had better opportunity, he had better training, he was older and wiser. Why did he not go out? Because fear had gripped his heart. Frank, can I tell you something? Fear will destroy the purposes and callings of God on each and every one of our lives. And we need, we need supernatural courage in this hour like never before. To take mountains, to take down giants like we've never taken them down before. This is our finest hour. So, number two, you'll be attacked by the jealous, the insecure, and the angry. Number three, supernatural courage is emboldened with each defeated enemy. Each defeated enemy will embolden you to be able to stand one day and look at a giant. Let's read what it says here. And David is giving his 
reason why he thinks he can go fight him in verse 34. Again, 1 Samuel 17, that's the chapter we're hanging out in. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Can I tell you what he's relaying? He's relaying an event or a group of events that happened over some time. If he's only 15 years or so, scholars believe that he killed the bear somewhere around 12. 12. So, so let me paint this picture for you. It is the most miserable job in Israel that you can have watching sheep. Because first off, they're nasty, they stinky, they don't listen. You got to stay out with them. They can't take care of themselves. They fall in ditches. You got to go pick them up. Every, they're, they're, everybody, they're at the bottom of the food chain. Everybody eats them. Everybody eats them. And so, and so but yet, all of your textiles, all of your, all of your, your food, milk, all that's coming from these guys. And so you got to watch them, protect them, take care of them. They, they, they're rebellious. They go run off, all this kind of stuff. And so David is fully fully engaged in doing the job that daddy gave him and that was taking care of sheep when all of a sudden he's got his back turned it's kind of late in the evening the, the sun's kind of going down but a little bit of light out and all of a sudden he hears meh and he looks up and there's a bear got it in his mouth and running off meh and David says a bear came and took a sheep wasn't a group of bears it was a bear he's from Louisiana a bear anyway so and so he started chasing and he says, I chased him and I hit him. I don't know if he hit him with the stone, but whatever he did, it says he hit him. And when, he, when I hit him, I don't know if he walked up behind him and smacked him in the back of the head while he's running, chasing him, hitting him. I don't know what he did. But when he hits him, it says, each one of them dropped the sheep and turned to him. And he says, and I took them by their hair. 12-year-old. And killed him. At 12, can I explain something to you? You will never defeat Goliath if you hadn't defeated a bear first. Everybody wants to be on stage, but nobody wants to lead a small group. Everybody wants to preach and teach, but nobody wants to take somebody under their wing and just disciple them. In our church, (laughs) you want to see the people who are moving forward and prospering? It's those who killed lions and bears, then Goliaths, and then whole armies. This is the way of things in Scripture. The reason why he had courage to go after Goliath, because he'd already killed a lion and a bear. He said, let me tell you something. Saul, have you ever killed a bear? Have you ever killed a lion? That thing turned to me like that. I killed him. I stabbed him to death. Whatever he did, I ripped his eyeballs out with my, I killed him. So this ain't nothing. This ain't nothing. Can I explain something to you? Some of you have never had any successes. You haven't had little successes. You're trying to fix the big problems of the world. You want to go finish, fix, you know, child hunger? You, you, you ain't never showed up at work on time. You, 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 want, you, don't, you want to one day be president of something? You ain't been serving of nothing. And so what you have to do is you've got to start with your lion and your bear. And can I tell you? In any business, any of you businessmen and women in the room, you write off a portion of your finances in your business to loss. Something's going to get stolen. You, you build it into Walmart's built it into their business model. 
They've got a loss prevention program, but they still, they build it in. We're going to lose this much to being stolen, broken, whatever. They write into their business model. I would imagine that every other shepherd in David's time had written off, hey, bro, if a bear shows up, let him have one. I'm good, bro. You want here? I don't like this one. Take him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If a, if a lion or a bear shows up, man, look, this one right here, he's been rebellious. Everybody back away. This is, this is Jerome's turn right here, buddy. Go ahead. Go ahead. You want to be by yourself? Go ahead. Get you some. That's not what David does, man. He's unlike any other shepherd. He chases the enemy down to save the one sheep. This is what made him like Jesus and made him like the God that he was serving. I'll tell you something. I've been so frustrated with Christian people. They care more about the position than they care about the sheep. And nobody's fighting for those who are in the jaws of the lion and the bear's mouth. The reason why God gave this boy so much courage is because he was willing to die for what was precious to the father. The father's sheep. Can I tell you something? There is no greater reward in Christendom than to love people, to, to care for people, to help them overcome the weaknesses and the sinfulness of their own humanity and protect them and fight for them against the enemy's attacks. It's the greatest and that's why God said, he'll do it with a lion. He'll do it with a bear. I can trust him to do it for a nation. He'll do it when no one's looking. I can trust him to do it when everyone's looking. Because he won test after another and emboldened him and gave him the courage that he needed. You still with me? Say yes. Here's the third big truth that I would teach you. And that, is, that was the third. Here's the fourth big truth that I would teach you. And that is that supernatural courage is unconventional. It's unconventional. So they bring him to Saul's tent. Saul says, okay, I'll let you do it, but here, let's put, put my armor on. And David starts putting the armor on. He gets it all on, and he starts trying to move, and he says, look, I can't do this. And he uses the word in King James, this is unproven to me. New King James says, untested. I haven't tested it. And the reason why that's a critical statement is because otherwise you'll create some crazy doctrine about, you know what, I got to do it my way, hallelujah. I can't do it your way, I got to do it my way. And no, actually, that's not at all what's happening here. David couldn't do it that way because he hadn't proven that way yet. David ends up wearing armor and having swords and spears later on in life as he's a little older. And he has tested it and proven it. Otherwise, you'll keep doing the same type of ministry you were doing back 20 years ago because that's what's comfortable to you. And you cannot progress into the next phase of your development because you're stuck trying to do, I do sling stuff. I'm, a, I just, I'm anointed for sling stuff. And that's awesome when you're 15. And that's awesome. And God did a miracle because you were 15 and because you had not proven this other way. But if you stay being 15 when you're 35, come on, somebody, how embarrassing is that? And you're still doing the same old little thing you did in kids' ministry. You got the same little problem you had in junior high ministry. You got the same little problem you had when you were single. Friend, you and I have to grow in to our anointing. And that thing changes and develops with time. And we become stronger and more apt. And we test those things. We prove those areas of ministry as we continue to grow. And so you got to understand, David's standing here, and this is unconventional. He says, no, I can't do this. I'm going to do the sling. I love the little... I love the little storyline that he picks the five stones up. One preacher said there were five brothers total. Uh, Goliath had four other brothers. So David had already, had already thought it through. After I kill him, I'm going to have to kill four others. So let me get, go ahead and get enough stones. Puts them in his bag. That's one concept. 
And I love this whole concept that he looks at him and he begins to defy him. And so we see that supernatural faith, let's go through the four pieces real quick as we see in here in Scripture. Number one, it's generated from a real deep relationship with the living God. Number two, it will come under attack the moment you start trying to be courageous. Some of the closest people to you, you're going to see jealousy, you're going to see insecurity, you're going to see anger. Number three, you're going to see that uh, supernatural faith, it emboldens, you get more of it, you start growing in it once you've conquered a few things. Once you've defeated a few little enemies, then you can raise up. Once you've got a bear under your, uh, uh, under your belt, then you can get you a lion. Once you've got a lion, then you can go ahead and go get you an army. Because, see, David wasn't fighting Goliath, he was fighting an army. Because Goliath was just the mouthpiece for an entire army. He wasn't planning on just destroying Goliath. He was planning on destroying an entire army. I'll prove that to you here in this next statement. And then the last piece is that it's unconventional. Now, let me give you a couple thoughts on how David approached this problem. And I think you and I could approach some of the problems that we have in life. Number one, the first thing that David does is that David steps out and he changes the terms. He steps out and he changes the terms. Thousands of men have never stepped out. They've been standing there for 40 days. And haven't stepped out. So the problem consists. Stay, it, it, just, it just keeps going day after day. And every day that you don't deal with a giant is another day that you become even deeper and more passive than the day before. You think it'll go away if you leave it alone. Has it? 20 years, has it gone away? 16 months, has it gone away? You thought, well, if I just pray about it. Listen, prayer is never an excuse for activity. When God wants you to actively do something, don't blame it on prayer. Don't blame it on prayer. There's a place for prayer and there's a place to be active and do what he told you to do. Well, there's got to be action involved. And so, and so David, what did he do? He steps out and he changes the terms. You say, what are you talking about? Well, up until this point, listen, if you'll go back and read it, Goliath has said, who, who wants to fight me? Come on over here. Who will fight me? Come over here. And what does it do? The Bible talks all about, because he's talking about, he's got his spear, he's got his sword, and he's got a javelin, and he's got these little dudes carrying his shield. I mean, this is how he expects the person across the way to come fight him. David flips the script. He flips the script. He says, "Uh uh-uh. First off, I can't fight like that, because I'm 15, and I can't do that. So, I'm not going to fight like that. He changes the paradigm. And because he changes the paradigm, he's able to have success. That's the first step. Some of you have been trying the same solution to the problem over and over and over again. And you keep getting the same problem. Probably what needs to happen is you need a paradigm shift. Look at it from a different direction. Go at it from a different direction. Ask the Lord. Say, Lord, give me insight because I can't get my boss to like me. I can't make this change with my wife. My kid still has the same, and you've been doing, I've been doing this, and you keep giving him a list. I'm doing this, 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 and this, but it ain't working. So you probably need a paradigm shift. And so he didn't man up to him, a mano to a mano with a 10-foot tall dude, and bring out a sword and a spear and a javelin and a little dude holding his shield. David said, no, I'm not going to do that. Let me get this little sling thing going. Let me get this little sling thing going. And then, and then what does he do? He steps out. Some of you have been sitting on the sidelines so long and you haven't stepped out of your comfort zone. You've got to step out of your comfort zone. You say, I want to win the world, then start a small group. <gasps> wow. I didn't know I'd have to do something. Right, you've got to step out. <laughs> My wife came to me years ago. I don't know, it's been five, six years ago now. 
And she said, I really feel like the Lord wants me to run for city council because we need a godly representation in our city government. And there's some good Christian folks in there, but I feel like the Lord wants me to do it. I was like, well, hallelujah. They going to pay you anything? No, it, it, they don't pay you anything. I'm like, ooh, that's the devil. That's a lot of work not to get paid. She goes, no, I really feel like the Lord wants me to do it. I said, okay, well, well I hope it works out. <clears throat> Let me tell you what my wife did. She showed up 6.30 every morning for about two months out in front of the city government center where you go to pay your light bill or you go pay, where you go to pay your water bill and that kind of stuff. And she would stand out there on the curb and as you get out of your car, rain, sleet, snow, it didn't matter. She'd stand out there, hi, my name is Jamie McCain. I'm going to be running for city council such and such position, I'd like you to consider voting for me. Let me tell you something. She faced every one of her fears. She faced it. She had to. She had to step out of what was comfortable to be able to do something tremendous. You can't do anything supernatural when you're sitting in a place of comfort. I've taught you this before, that comfort is the enemy of the supernatural. Everybody wants these great things to happen, but nobody wants to step out. Well, nobody wants to step out and try something because you're scared of failing. Or you're scared the last time you did it didn't work out or maybe you missed the Lord. Jamie just went out there and let me tell you something. She shook hands and she had to face the fact, oh, with, with a multiracial uh, city, oh, they're going to think that, you know, here I am, just a little home wife, you know, just a little pastor's wife, you know, with blonde hair and blue eyes, and, and that, you know, what, what are they going to think about me or my education? And she had to face all of those fears, but she kept at it every day, shaking hands, hugging necks, kissing babies, telling them her vision, taking her little baby. At the time, I think Adeline was three, four, five years old, and she'd vote for my mommy, vote for my mommy. Where was dad at? I was traveling the world somewhere. I didn't even know really all was that. And she was facing her fears, and she was standing on the front lines, trying to bring change to the situation. And when the vote came back, she had 76 uh, 76, 74% of the vote. One of the greatest votes in history. Uh, it was a landslide. All because of one thing. She stepped out. Everybody wants things to happen, but nobody wants to step out. Step out. And then change the paradigm. Say, wait a minute. We're going to rework this. We ain't doing it that way. We're going to do it this way. This is what, where I'm anointed at. This is where I'm good at. This is where I'm strong at. Here's the second thing that David did. David starts prophesying to what is about to happen. You've got to see this. I just got a few more minutes and I'll close this out. In verse 45, chapter 17, it says, And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the... Come on, you ought to get excited about this. ought to do something inside of you. I come to you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defiled this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all of this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Come on, somebody. He starts prophesying. Let me tell you something, big boy. You're going to die today, and not only that, I'm going to kill all your people. Your carcasses are going to be laying by the side of the road. Birds are going to be eating your eyeballs. Wild animals are going to be sucking the fluids out of your body. Because this day, you have defied the God of heaven and earth. And it will be known in all of this assembly. And on the earth, that the God of Israel is the living God. It will be known. Can I explain something to you? He had to prophesy because 
Goliath had been prophesying. Go back and read all of it. This day I will kill you. There is no God of Israel. Where is this God? 40 days. He's, even, he's getting more and more power. Let's see. Day 38. Look, there is no God. I'm alive. Why does your God not strike me dead? Because he is no God. So what did David have to do? He had to undo the prophet lies by prophesying. One of the great truths that seems to be lacking in Christendom these days is that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And that we keep speaking what the enemy speaks instead of what the Lord speaks. And it's because that enemy is 10 foot tall and he's standing right across that brook from me. And it seems as though at times that God is so far away. And supernatural courage is the result of being so bonded with God that even if I don't see him and it doesn't happen the way I thought it would happen, he is God of heaven and earth. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. All those who rise up against me shall fall. I'm the head and not the tail above and not be. That's not some little slogan. It's who I am. It's who he is. David had an understanding of that. So first he steps out. He says, I'm not doing I'm not running to you. I'm not coming over there. Uh-uh. I'm, I'm going to change the paradigm. And I'm not fighting the way you fight. In fact, let me just say something to you. Let me prophesy to you. You will be dead in just a few seconds. I will feed the carcasses of all them idiots standing behind you to the wild beast. We will rout you and our God, the God of the armies of Israel, the living God, will be known throughout the world as the one true God. When he says that, if you'll go back and read, all of a sudden the rage of the demonic forces inside of Goliath rise up and he goes, and he starts coming towards David. And then David responds by running towards him. And this is my third piece. David charges the enemy. In verse 48, so it was... When the Philistine arose and came and drew near. Now, what had the Philistine been saying? Come to me. Come over here to me. Come over to here. Come fight on my terms. This is where you keep mess- making your mistake. You keep fighting Satan on his terms. That's dumb. You keep trying to do all of this in the flesh. you sitting around the coffee pot trying to get everybody at your job on your side. Trying to do it in the flesh. The same old way that it was done to you. You keep trying to out, out, outsmart everybody else. Friend, listen to me. Stop doing it on the enemy's terms. And do what the Word of God says. And do what God says. And do it on His turn. Change the paradigm. You need a paradigm shift in your mind. It's not working. Switch to what God says in His Holy Scriptures. As He prophesies, it enrages the demonic forces. Goliath can't take it. So he says, I'll be doggone if I'm going to let some kid talk to me like that. I'm going over on his side. And I'm going to kill him in front of everybody. And as he starts doing that, David don't just stand there. Come on. Come on. No, just the opposite. He charges him. He charges him. This is where some of our mistakes have been. We've become so passive, we've never charged the enemy. There is nothing, there is no, I'm telling you, there is nothing more powerful as a believer than to charge the enemy. You come to my house sometimes late in the evening when I've gotten a bad report about something. You'll find me in my prayer room. And you will not pass this spot again. I bind you in the name of Jesus. I'm making phone calls. You tell the devil to stop it. It's a lie. They're like, okay, okay pastor. Okay. Hallelujah, don't get too excited. <laughs> Why? Because I'm charging the enemy. He ain't charging. I'm not on the defensive. 
You've been playing defensive. You've been so defensive so long that you don't know what it is to score. And the only way you score is by playing offense, by attacking. What do y'all say in, in, in your little sports with the, with the elementary kids? Come on, attack the ball. Come on, attack the ball. Let's go. Come on, attack. Let's go, let's go, let's go, low. Go, run, 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 run. Why do you say that? Because this, this kid doing this. Like, dude, <laughs> go sit on the bench. You're not in this game. You're not engaged with this. David attacks him. He runs to him. At some point, you have to stop talking about it and start charging the enemy. At some point, you've got to stop getting counsel about it and asking everybody's opinion about it. And you, you, you have to charge the enemy. Listen, there are battles that your spouse can't go with you on. There are battles that your pastor can't hold your hand, that your counselor can't hold your hand. There are battles that only you and Jesus can go fight. There's battles that you and Jesus alone. Why? Because it deepens that relationship. And it brings about the supernatural power of God that no man gets credit but Jesus. There's no way I could have done it. Jesus did it. I did what he told me to do, and he did something supernatural. Supernatural courage for each and every one of us. This is my prayer for you today. Stand with me all across the room. Thank you, guys. You've been gracious to me. Hope this helped you a little bit. Yeah. The big stories, man. The big stories. We're going we're gonna to get some good stuff out of these big stories. I want you, if you will, would you just lift your hands before the Lord? That's a sign of surrender. Would you just lift your hands right where you stand? That may be a little comfortable. Just get it as comfortable as you can up in the air. Because, again, it's a sign of surrender. Would you say this with me? Say, Jesus. Jesus. No, say it like you mean it. Jesus, Jesus. Today, today, I ask, I ask. for your courage. your courage. Supernatural courage to face my giants. Jesus, I want to be best friends with you. Jesus, I will fear no enemy. For if I'm with you, and you're with me, there's no enemy that can destroy us in Jesus' name. Put your hands down and just grab the person next to you real quick. Grab their hand. And I want you to be, I want you to be the family of God for the next couple of seconds. And I want you to pray courage. You have no idea what they're facing. You have no idea what the doctor said to them last month. You have no idea what their wife said. You have no idea. You have no idea what the lies of their mind that they can't overcome. That the sin that so easily entangles them is always going to dominate them. You have no idea what, what, what enemy has been cursing them and speaking across the ravine at them, intimidating them. For some people, 40 days has turned to 40 years. Some people in this room, they just, this is an inspiring message, but at the same time, those lies keep talking to them. And I need the family of God to be the family of God for a moment. Would you just begin to pray? You can pray out loud, you can pray quietly, but I'm going to pray with you. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for every man and woman in this congregation. I pray that we would have a church full of young Davids, oh God. That same tenacity, that same courage, that same, that same fearlessness to go and attack the enemies of our God. That understanding that if God be for us, who can be against us? And if I'm with Christ, then, I, then nothing can destroy me. Father, I pray right Right now, Lord, that there be a clarity, Lord God, a clarity, Lord God, in the spirit of every one of these men and women to rise up and to go attack the enemies of their God. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name against passivity. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I rebuke passive living. I rebuke fearful in, uh, thought processes for whatever is not of faith is sin. And I speak life into these men and women of God. I speak tenacity. I speak the courage of God to see it through, even if you don't have it all figured out. 
out. Father, I validate the sling. Lord, I validate, Lord God, they may not have all the great, grandiose weapons, but doggone it, they got a couple of rocks and they got a little sling. And Father, I thank you with you, all those pieces, that little rock becomes a weapon. That little sling becomes a, becomes a, little, a, a rocket launcher. Father, I thank you right now in Jesus' name that these men and women will not second guess you another day. That, Lord God, that each and every one of us would securely trust in you. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to let go of the hand of the person next to you. And I want to speak to anyone in this room who's away from Jesus. If, you've not, if you're not serving the Lord, you say, Pastor, I'm so embarrassed. I, I used to be a Christian, but I walked away. and Life happened, man. And I'm just, I don't know. I came to church today. I've been coming for a couple weeks. But I'll be honest with you. If I died today, I don't think, I don't think I'd go to heaven. Hey, hey, friend, I got great news for you. He ain't mad at you. You're here. He got you here. And now he just wants a relationship. Well, he wants to, he wants to bond with you. Maybe you say, Pastor, I, I didn't grow up knowing about Jesus. I didn't know I could have a relationship with the Creator. Friend, you can. He said, Well, what do I do? Well, that's the beauty. He did it all. He came to this earth. He lived a holy, sinless life. He died on a cross, which paid for all of our sins. He paid it all forward. He paid it all for it. Any sin you and I would ever commit, he paid it for it already. All we have to do then, the Bible says, is confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He will then fill us with his Holy Spirit and you will then learn to live like him and be like him one step at a time. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian or you're away from God and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you want me to pray with you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to, I'm not going to point you out. I just won't. I just, you, please don't leave here wondering if you're going to go to heaven. Don't do that. Here's your moment. Don't push him away. He's reaching out to you. Embrace his love. If that's you, I'm speaking to you. And you know you're away from God, but you want to come home or you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, I want you to throw your hand up right where you're at. Don't think about it. Just throw it up. Respond to God. Thank you, sir. Anyway, thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? You can put it back. I saw it. God bless you. Thank you. I see your hand. Don't sit there and talk yourself out of it. This is your moment. This is the greatest decision of your life. Eternity lays in the balance. What will the end result be for you? Will it be forever in the, in the arms of the living God or will it be forever in destruction? I'll give you just two more seconds. Say, Pastor, you're talking to me. It's time. I'm, t- I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Two more seconds. If that's you, quickly throw your hand up. If you haven't lifted it, go ahead and lift it now. In Jesus' name, God bless you. God bless you. Amen. It's been a number of hands. Thank you for your honesty. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. Those that lifted your hands, and we're going to ask Jesus to forgive us and wash us clean. Say it loud, loud with me. In fact, I want everyone in the audience to pray with these who lifted their hands. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, Jesus, today I surrender my life my desires, my wants. I recognize I'm a sinner and I ask for your mercy. I ask for your forgiveness and I receive it now. Jesus, I pray right now that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Write their name in your book of life. And Lord, they'll serve you forever. Now, Father, I pray right now that they would sense forgiveness come upon them the lies that they're not good enough, they're never amount to anything, that that would be broken. And that, Lord, they start their fresh new journey with you. New in you. Old has passed away, everything's new. Here's their new start. Control, all, delete. They get to reboot. And Father, I thank you that you're going to meet them right there in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you all look up at me today? Thank you guys who lifted your hand and made a commitment to Jesus. You'll never be the same. I, it changed. 30 years ago, I made a decision for Christ and I've never been the same. 
Thank you for being such a wonderful congregation. I've gone real long today. I apologize. You got me so excited because I just know that you can go, as my pastor used to say, you can go devil hunting with a switch, you know, or uh, storm the gates of hell with a water pistol. I believe in you. I believe that the enemies of God and the enemies of your life are no longer going to torment you or control you. God bless you. I love you. Pastor Jonathan's going to close us out.